All right. My name is Dave, and I want to tell you a true story. This past week, I was, uh, just a couple days ago, I was walking through my neighborhood. Uh, I was doing a prayer walk, so I was, walk, I was praying for my neighbor, neighbors, and I was uh, thinking about this sermon on being a good neighbor. And as I was walking down the street, lo and behold, one of my neighbors was standing on his front porch, right in front of me, half a block away. I was coming towards him. And I thought to myself, if I slow down, if I delay right here for a few seconds, maybe he'll turn around and go back in his house before I get there. <laughs> and so I stopped and pretend like I was looking at a tree or something. I don't know. And a peripheral vision, I noticed he turned around, went in his house. I was like, sweet. Went walking by. And as I went by his house, I thought to myself, man, I dodged that bullet, right? Now I got to get back to the sermon on being a good neighbor. I got to think of some things to say. Now, you're thinking that I'm making this up. I am not, okay? I have a capacity to fail miserably sometimes, all right? And this was one of those times. And it wasn't till I walked past that all of a sudden the irony of the situation hit me right in the face, Now, people who are less charitable wouldn't use the word irony. They would use the word hypocrisy. But you know what? It hit me. But folks, you understand, right? Because, I mean, for one thing, I didn't have time for a conversation. I got to work on this sermon about being a good neighbor and reaching my neighborhood, right? (laughs) So there's that. Plus, I'll tell you right now, this guy is a talker. And I knew that if we started talking, I'd be tied up for 15, 20 minutes. And again, I didn't have time for that, right? I got I to gotta pray for my neighborhood. Bad stuff, right? That's why we're doing what we're doing in this series called Neighboring. We're wrapping up the series. It was just a brief three-week uh, uh, teaching uh, heading into this summer about being Jesus where you live. And the basic premise of this teaching series is simply this. If, what if, we were to take literal the words of Jesus when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? What if we took those words literally and it was impressed upon us that who Jesus wants us to love is our neighbors, the people that are placed across the street from us, on either side of us, behind us. And we all have an abode, right? We all have a dwelling. All of us live somewhere. And so the people that God has sprinkled all around us, what if we took literal, I'm going to love them because that's what Jesus told me to do. How would it change you? How would it change you? And then you think, how would it change them if they were to receive your love? And how would it change your neighborhood? And our community. There's so many things to think about what God might be able to do. And folks, I'll tell you why the timing of this teaching series is now. Because yes, summer will be here eventually. We're still anticipating it, right? Eventually it's going to warm up and stop raining and then summer will be here. But it's already warmer than what it was. And so see, we're outside now. 
we're walking our dogs, we're working on our yard, we're sitting out on our deck. We see a lot more of our neighbors than what we do in the wintertime for sure. And so this is a time to engage. This is a time to reach out. This is a time to take advantage of the warm weather and say, Lord, you've placed me in this apartment building. You've, apl- you've placed me in this neighborhood. How can you use me? That's the vision we're casting to simply be a good neighbor. That's what we want to do. I love it. Last week, um, I was talking to a college student um, uh, that just recently began attending here. And she told me, she said, Dave, you know what? When I was listening to the sermon, I was thinking about how in my dormitory at my college, there's no, this past year, there was no community on our floor. The girls never really got to know each other. We didn't really hang out together. And God's given me a vision that when I go back to my dorm this fall, I'm gonna bring us together. That I'm gonna meet girls on my floor and and I'm gonna try to put this into practice. And I thought, how perfect is that? She got it, she got it. She didn't apply it to her neighborhood, but she applied it to where she lived in her, in her dormitory. And so you can take these principles that we're talking about and apply them to your workplace, to your gym, wherever you hang out, wherever your people are, wherever it is you spend time. Uh, for many of us, it's gonna be in our neighborhood and see how God might use us. And so we're gonna go again to a passage of scripture. I feel like we've turned there quite a bit in the last two or three years. And so hopefully you're not tiring of it. But I want to go again to John chapter four, to a a passage of scripture that's familiar to many of you. And I want to extract from it some basic relational principles, some basic bridge building skills that Jesus showed us that we can use in seeking to be good neighbors to those who live around us. So I'd invite you now to please stand at the reading of God's word. John chapter four, beginning at verse four. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. 
So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of Christ. And Father, we thank you for the example he sets for us here, Father, in engaging somebody, in reaching out to somebody, and befriending somebody. And Father, I ask that you would help us to have this kind of vision for those you've placed around us. That Father, we would see our neighborhoods as a place that you have blessed us with that we might be a blessing to others. Father, help us to move past our selfishness. Help us to move past our excuses. Help us to move past our busyness and our fears that we might, Father, really be those who love our neighbors. God, we need your strength to do it, but we want this to happen. And so, Lord, we humbly ask that you would use us in this way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus, as the master teacher, lays out for us six key practices for building relational bridges. So let's go through these, okay? The first key to building relational bridges is simply this. Initiate conversations. Say hi to people. Talk First, don't wait for them to be friendly. Don't wait for them to come across the street and introduce themselves. You take the initiative. Now, who would have ever thought that a key building block to building relationships is talking to somebody? Duh, right? But how about if we start there? Jesus engaged this woman. He saw her and he immediately engaged her. He initiated a conversation. Number of years ago, a, a book on sharing uh, our faith came out. The title was Just Walk Across the Room. It was a great book. And the premise of Just Walk Across the Room was hey, man, when you're in a place where there's people, introduce yourself. Just walk across the room, take that risk, say, hey, I don't know your name. My name's Dave. What's yours? Boom, and see what happens to it. The conversation might end right there. It might go on for 10 minutes. It might stay superficial. It might go deep really quick. You never know what happens when you start a conversation with someone. Isn't that true? And so what an important key is for us to bless people by simply respecting them enough to acknowledge their existence and talk to them. And a key part of that is listening. When we engage people, listen to what they say ask good questions, express a genuine curiosity in their life. That's a way to value a person as an individual. And I think that's key 
to building these relational bridges. And so initiate conversations just as Christ did. Now, some of us are in the introverted side and we say, man, that would really stretch me. I'm, I'm a little shy and th- that would make me kind of uncomfortable. I understand that. I really do. And you know, the, the thing I, I think about there is as followers of Christ, Jesus calls us to stretch ourselves, Right? We're supposed to be stretching ourselves all the time and allow him to stretch us. And that's how you grow is by getting out of your comfort zone. That's how you grow is by being stretched. So even for those of us where the idea of introducing ourselves or initiating conversations makes us a little bit nervous, you know what? It'll be okay. It really will. And the more you do it, the more used to it you'll get. But in the meantime, man, trust God, step out in faith, allow yourself to be stretched and see what God does with it. But Commit yourself to initiate conversations with those that God causes to cross your path. All right, second bridge building principle is this. Don't fear those who are different than you. Don't allow differences to build up walls that keeps you from meeting people and talking to people. In this story, this woman was genuinely surprised that Jesus bothered to talk to her. I think for a couple of reasons. One, typical in that culture, a man typically wouldn't engage a conversation with a woman that wasn't part of his family or that he didn't already know. So there's that. But much more than that, it was a Samaritan Jewish thing, right? It was a, it was a racial thing, an ethnic thing that the Samaritans and Jews had, had centuries of animosity and hatred and prejudice towards each other. And it was just commonly known that Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. They just didn't talk. And so when the Samaritan woman sees Jesus, who was obviously a Jew, and he, he begins to talk to her, she was like, what? Why are you talking to me? This really surprises me. Normally our differences would have never allowed this conversation to take place. And in fact, if we kept reading in John 4, when Jesus' disciples come back from town from getting food, they're thinking to themselves, it's recorded, they're thinking to themselves, why in the world was Jesus talking to her? What is going on? But you see, that was the way it normally was in that day. And Jesus broke those traditions of differences, allowing to keep them separate and he would engage her and care about her. It's normal for us to be attracted to those with whom we have a natural affinity, right? The more we have in common with someone, the more comfortable we're going to be, right? And so if the more they are like us, the more comfortable we are. The more different they are, the more it can make us uncomfortable and can cause fear, and it keeps us from engaging. If someone is like us, same skin color as us, same religion as us, more or less the same politics as us, more or less our age, then that's pretty easy, right? Because there's a lot of natural affinity. But but if, if, if we cross paths with somebody, their skin color is not the same as ours. And They've got a scary Darwin fish on the back of their car eating the Christian fish. And that's kind of scary and intimidating, right? And, 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 you know, we know their politics is different and they cheer for different sports teams and, you know, all these differences. And it just breeds this, like, ah, they would never want to talk to me or we don't have anything in common. and, And we allow it to build these walls, right? 
The challenge is for you and I to not allow these differences to stop us. Uh, Pastor Chris talked last week, and I love what Pastor Chris brought out. He said that the thing to remember when we deal with fear with our neighbors is keep in mind, they're probably more afraid of you than you are of them, right? And so taking the initiative, it's probably amazing how it's gonna turn out. Now, I wanna acknowledge that some of these dynamics uh, might be a little bit different for those of us who are older versus younger generations. Those of you who are younger, most of you have grown up in very diverse, very um, uh, very uh, pluralistic culture where differences don't bother you. You don't notice them nearly as much. But some of us who are older grew up in a more homogenous culture, you know, where we're used to everybody being like us. And, and, and so the differences for some of us older folks are more intimidating, right? It's, I mean, it's just a fact, but God calls us to not allow that to be the case. And Jesus set the example. So different religion, different politics, different generation than you, different ethnicity than you. It doesn't matter. Say no to the fear, get out there and see what happens. And Christ set the example. All right, here's number three. Third relational bridge building skill is see them as divine appointments. See your neighbors as divine appointments. At the beginning of the scripture that we read, John phrases it in such a way that he gives an air of destiny to this meeting. And he makes us think that, okay, maybe Jesus intersecting Uh, with this woman at that right place and at the right time wasn't mere chance. It wasn't random. But maybe it was part of God's sovereign plan that they would connect at that place and in that time. It says at the scripture that we read in verse four that Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way to Galilee. What do you mean he had to go through Samaria? There's more than one road. There's more than one route. What do you mean he had to go through Samaria? And in fact, it was pretty common for most Jews to specifically avoid Samaria. And so they would go the long way around if they had to rather than walk through Samarian towns because of their prejudice. And yet it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so you get the sense that it was God's calling on his life that he knew there was a woman he needed to meet. There was a conversation he needed to have. And he saw this woman ultimately not as an annoyance or as an interruption, but he saw this woman as a divine appointment that God, his father, had made for them. And what if you saw your neighbors in the same way? I believe scripture teaches very clearly that our God is large and he's in charge and he's sovereign and he's in control and that God is working out his purposes in your neighborhood and he has you in mind to help pull off his purposes in your neighborhood. Uh, We looked at this passage two weeks ago. I wanna go back to it in Acts chapter 17. Look what the Apostle Paul teaches about God here. He says, For one, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Now, folks, on a macro level, 
its cultures and its nations, that God controls uh, when civilizations rise up and when they fall down, how long they're around, where they're placed on the globe. That's the macro level. But nations are made up of people and nations are made up of neighborhoods, right? And, and I wanna suggest that on the micro level of this teaching of God's sovereignty, he's talking about neighborhoods and he's talking about your neighbors, that God strategically allows people to move in and people to move out for people to live in a house for 55 years and people to live in a house for two years and that God allows certain people to be neighbors at certain times to accomplish his purposes, which is to draw them to himself. Because verse 27 says, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he was not far from any of us. And so you see, it's the reminder that one of the key reasons why your neighbors aren't far from God is because they're close to you and you know God. And so your neighbor isn't far from God because you live next to them and you know him. And so it's really a totally different mindset to see the people that God has placed around you is being there for a reason, as being divine appointments. Here's the fourth example that Christ said for us in building relational bridges and making a difference is the importance of bringing up God. That in this conversation, he didn't just talk weather with her or whatever, but in a natural organic way, he brought up his father. He brought up God. He said, if only you knew the God, the gift that God has for you, if you only knew how much God wanted to be generous to you, how much God loves you, if only you knew the gift God has. Here's my observation. You probably found it to be true uh, as well, that anything important in life will come up naturally in conversation very often. Isn't that true? That anything that's important in your life, when you talk to people, it's just naturally going to come up because that's the way it is. And so if you were to talk to me, there wouldn't be much time go by probably that my wife Karen's not going to come up in conversation, that one of my four kids isn't going to come up in conversation, that one of my grandkids isn't going to come up, that my dog Roger isn't going to come up in conversation, that Chicago Cubs aren't going to come up in conversation, that bacon isn't going to come up in conversation. Okay. Now Why? I don't have to force those things to come up in conversation. Like, man, how am I going to work this into the conversation? They just naturally come out because all those things are important to me. You see, things that we value just organically, naturally come up in conversation. So if you love Christ, if God is important to you, if God makes a big difference in your life, if your spirituality is a key part of who you are, it's only natural that it's going to come up in conversation from time to time. You don't have to force it. But when it comes up, don't suppress it, right? But be honest and just talk to people about the role God plays in your life and see what happens. This past week in my fitness class, a dude that's there every time I'm there, and so I've gotten to know him, uh, uh, was telling us that his three-year-old son fell off some playground equipment this past week and broke his elbow real nasty, real bad. And so they've been dealing with that the last couple of days. They've been trying to find a surgeon. They weren't sure if surgery was gonna be needed. And so anyway, after class, I, I went up to him and I said, hey man, I'm really sorry about your son. I just want you to know I'm gonna be praying for him, that God will be with him and that things are gonna work out okay. And I gotta tell you, I, I have no idea his religiosity. For all I know, he's, he's a militant atheist. I, I don't know anything about this guy's spiritual beliefs at all, but I put myself out there because I pray for people. That's what I do, I pray for people. And so 
I just said, hey, I'm gonna be praying for your son. And he received that so well. The look in his eye, the expression on his face, I could tell he sincerely was touched that he was grateful that I'd be willing to pray for his son. And he said, thank you. I'd really appreciate that. So you know what? This Tuesday when I'm back in class, I'm gonna go up to him and say, hey, how's your boy? What's going on? Give me an update. I've been praying, you know? And we can pray for people. We can begin with prayer and pray for people and even tell them we're praying for people. And it's a way we bring up our spirituality. It's a way we bring up our relationship with God and Who knows where it'll take the conversation. Next relational principle is this in bridge building. Number five, be convinced that God loves them. You, before you can develop a heart for the people in your neighborhood, you need to honestly believe that God has a heart for the people in your neighborhood, that God loves your neighbors tremendously. Because see, once you're convinced that God loves them, you're more apt to be open to loving them yourself. That God is not against them, he's for them. God's opinion of your neighbors, he loves them, John 3, 16. He doesn't want them to go into a Christless eternity, 1 Peter 3, 9. He's for them, not against them, Romans 8, 31. He wants them to seek him, Acts 17, 26. And he sent his son to save them, not condemn them, John 3, 17. And so that's why Jesus could turn to this woman and say, if only you knew the gift God has for you. In other words, God's generous, God sees you, God loves you, and God has a gift for you. Do you believe God has a gift for your neighbor? You better believe God has a gift for your neighbors. It's the same gift that most of you have received, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's a gift that God has wrapped up with a pretty bow and it's waiting for your neighbor. Now, what is God's delivery system for that gift to your next door neighbor? Is it FedEx? Is it a white van driven by some Amazon employee? What is God's delivery system for the generosity he wants to express to your neighbors, to the gift he has for them? It's you, nobody else. That's why he placed you there so that you could bless your neighbor with the gift of Christ. A lot of times when we think about sharing our story, the final S in bless, We think it's like the full-blown testimony of like how we came to faith in Christ and the difference he's made in our life. And yeah, it'd be great to get a point in conversation where we can talk about that. But in the meantime, our story is the fact that God is an everyday part of our life. And so we share our story when we tell people we're praying for him. We share our story when we tell what we're learning from scripture or what we're learning in church or some answer to the prayer that God has done for us. And God uses us when we're willing to speak up. Lastly, final example that Christ set for us that I want to challenge you with is oftentimes we need to look past the mess. We need to look past the mess. Sometimes you're going to have a neighbor where you're going to have to look past the dysfunction and the addictions and the foul language and the crude jokes 
and the politics you don't agree with and so on and so forth that you're going to have to look past what you consider to be a mess and simply love them. Treat them like a person valued by God. In John 4, this story takes an interesting turn when all of a sudden Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. And then he busts her out big time. It's like, oh man, Jesus, I can't believe you did that. But Jesus says to her when she says she doesn't have a husband, Jesus was like, uh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. You've been through five marriages and now you're living with a dude that you haven't even gotten married to. It's like, what? Jesus kind of totally called her out, right? And what you see here is a woman whose life has been ravaged by one bad relationship after another. This is an individual whose heart had been broken, who'd been abused. This is a woman who's looked for love and had legitimate needs and has tried to fulfill those needs in unwise ways. And so this was a woman who was socially ostracized. And you know what? This is the reason why she was there all by herself. In this culture, it was, it was a common social thing that women would go to the well together to get water. She was all by herself. Why? And she was there in the heat of the day at noon, it says. Anybody knew that you went to get water from the well first thing in the morning or at dusk when it was cool. What was she doing there by herself in the heat of the day? I want to suggest to you it's because she was an outcast. She was an untouchable. She was a person where the other women in the village were like, don't be seen with her. She's a tramp. She's a loser. She goes through one man after another and she's a mess. And Jesus looked past the mess to someone that was loved by God. And you know what? You might have neighbors that have got a lot of crud you have to look past. But see, that's what God did for you. God looked past your mess when he brought you into his family. God looked past your dysfunction when he forgave you of your sins. That's the grace of God, right? And if it wasn't for God looking past our mess, we'd never be here right now. Well, you see, that's how God views us. That's how we're to view others, that we don't allow things in their life that most would consider to be a mess. We don't allow that to keep us from loving them the way that we should. Here's what I'd like you to do today. I'd like you to take literal the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like you to go back into your neighborhood for the remainder of this summer, learn names, introduce yourself, get to know people, express an interest in those around you, begin praying for your neighbors by name as you learn their names and see what God might do. Don't you think that's a worthy experiment? Don't you think that would be a wise way to use these summer months in the warm weather when we're all outside and see how God might use you? So I wanna challenge you, take one of these six relational bridge building principles Take one, the one that resonates with you. You say, yeah, that's what I need to work on. Or yeah, that's one where I need to grow. And, and, and ask for God's help and seek to love your neighbor and see the difference it'll make in you and in your neighborhood, all right? That's our vision for this church. And we're praying that it'll be an awesome summer. What I'd love to do is come back in the fall. I'd love to come back in September and have like a testimony time and share our stories of who we've met 
and how friendships have been born and how we, we've been allowed to be used by God. 